It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Have you ever looked at a successful person and wondered what he or she knew that you didn't? What is the secret to their success? According to today's guest, Mae McCarthy, success is a system, not a secret. Mae's here today to talk about her practical program that anyone can use to achieve success in all areas of life. May has helped start and grow six companies to as large as $100 million in annual revenues. May is the author of the best-selling book, The Path to Wealth, and The Gratitude Formula, a seven-step success system to create a life that you love. Welcome, May. Thanks for joining us. Joan, thank you for having me on. It's nice to be here. So, May, your new book is called The Gratitude Formula. And from doing this work for more than three decades, what have you learned How does gratitude factor into a person achieving success? Well, gratitude is one of those things that lots of studies have shown um, is actually a wonderful element for health and well-being. It helps to calm you down. It um, makes you sleep better. Lots of studies that are outlined in my book show this. But what I've done is use gratitude as a way to focus my attention on something that I want to grow or something that I want to manifest as a goal. It tends to accelerate my noticing possibilities to take steps to achieve those goals. It's interesting because I think when people are talking about success or achieving goals, I'm not sure that they factor gratitude into that equation. So is it in the noticing of it that you think propels you? Or what aspect of gratitude do you really think drives a person? Well, I think giving you an example might help. When I was 19, I started the first of seven businesses. And what I found was I, I ran sales organizations, and I would get very excited with my employees when we would meet certain sales goals. And somehow it dawned on me that if I could be grateful for achieving those goals in advance, that perhaps we could all get motivated and achieve them sooner. And that's exactly what happened. So we started to be grateful, I mean, choose to be grateful for achieving our goals before we ever actually achieved them. And more times than not, we actually were successful in not only achieving them, but achieving revenues beyond what our original goal was. May, would you go so far as to say that gratitude should be the foundation on which everything else is built? Well, you know, it kind of depends on different, you know, what, what the goals and priorities are. Being grateful for what you want to have manifested or what you want to grow in your life. Being grateful for it in advance can help. Mm -hmm. It can help you to notice possibilities. It can also put you in that calm state where you can notice 
intuitive and subconscious directions that will point out possible steps for you to take. I mean, I'm not the only one that believes this. I, but one of the most influential women of our time is Oprah Winfrey, and she said if you're grateful, if you're thankful for what you have, it tends to multiply and you'll have more. But if you're always focusing on lack, you'll never have enough. Mm-hmm. So shifting your attention to being uh, focused on what you want and then being grateful for it in advance tends to help it to multiply and grow and also instructs your subconscious to point out possible steps that you can take. And here's an example. You know, if you recall the last time you bought a car, you thought about a car, you looked at all the different models, you talked to your friends, your family, you know, and maybe subject matter experts, and you narrowed down the different kinds of cars that you want to maybe one or two models. Maybe you even went and test drove a car. You're thinking about it, you're talking about it, you're being grateful because you figured out how you're going to finance it. Don't you start to notice that car driving around everywhere? Mm Mm-hmm. You never noticed it before, but now that you've started to generate these feelings of gratitude and excitement about having that car, you start to notice it. Your subconscious filters billions of pieces of data that are coming at you every day and illuminates things that are in alignment with what you're putting your attention on and what you're putting your gratitude on. And that can be the same for any goal that you have. If if you want to you know, lose 10 pounds. Instead of saying, I want to lose 10 pounds, say, I'm so grateful that I'm physically fit, trim, toned, energetic, and a healthy body that easily moves through life. And what will happen is possible steps will show up or people will come into your life that have some wonderful thing to share with you that is consistent with your goal for health. May, in your book, you write about a CSO. What does CSO stand for? Well, I believe that everyone has the ability to receive intuitive directions. Bill Gates said often you have to rely on intuition, and lots of famous people rely on intuition. And I've found that I get gut instincts, strong thoughts and ideas, an awareness about taking some sort of action, and I roll all that up into intuition. Well, for me, there's a source for that intuition. And I don't really get hung up on what to call it. But as a business person, as a CEO, I surround myself with people whose advice I value. And I have chief financial officers and chief operating officers, chief marketing officers, and so on. Well, I decided that there must be a source for this intuition, so I gave it a title, and I brought it into my business, and I call it the Chief Spiritual Officer. It's essentially the source of intuition that guides and directs me and illuminates possibilities for me to take steps to achieve my goals. As I've been growing my business, I have been relying more and more on my intuition, and I'm going through having to make a business decision right now. And and I know in every cell of my body what I need to do because every time I think about it, I literally feel sick, but it's just getting that courage to take action. So I think that this is a great practice to incorporate into your business and into your life. Right, and if you are feeling nervous, if you get some sort of intuitive hit, that's what I call these leads, these intuitive leads. If you get an intuitive lead about anything, and you feel really unsure or scared or filled with doubt, simply ask for another lead. And that's that's where this title, you know, Chief Spiritual Officer comes in. Because if you were in a business setting, you would ask your business partner to clarify some information that they gave you if you didn't understand it. 
and you can do the same with this source of intuition. Again, I don't, I don't know what it is. I I admire people that have faith and can actually, you know, call it something that's endearing. And I call it, I give it a title because I believe it's a subject matter expert that provides information that's consistent with what I'm putting my attention on. So May, let's look at your gratitude system. Can you give us an overview of the program and tell us a little bit about why it's so powerful? Sure. Well, the very first thing that you want to do is recognize that you're already powerful. You're already, you've already proved that you can achieve goals. Um, think about when you learn to drive a car or ride a bike or read. All of these things were difficult for you to do when you first started, but you put in repetitive practice every single day, and you noticed other friends and family and other people that were achieving and mastering driving a car, riding a bike, reading, and even typing on that crazy keyboard that's not even in alphabetical order. All of these things are things that you learn to do using repetition to reap the rewards. And now you could probably drive home from work or, or a variety of places that you go often and not even remember large parts of your drive home. Well, that's because you've used repetition to master the situation. And that's probably the biggest key component in the system for success is recognizing that you've got to do something every single day to stay focused on what you want outcomes to be. The second thing is, is to recognize how your brain works. You know, your brain remembers every single time that you had a goal in the past that you did not achieve, and it remembers how disappointed you were. And it it doesn't want you to be disappointed again. So when you have a goal that's bigger than anything you've experienced before, or different, than anything you've experienced before in an effort to try and protect you, your brain will sometimes put those intuitive messages on mute so that you can't notice the steps to take. So what you have to do is make what you want familiar and welcome by reading stories about other people that have achieved the kind of success that you want to achieve. And also, you know, if it's, if it's a particular item that you want to experience, um, you know, a new car or a new house or something, go to places where you can actually experience those things that you want. As you start to gather stories about other people who were just like you when they started and understand their journeys, what you'll start to realize is, wow, if they could do it, I could do it. You know, so many very, very famous people, we look at them and think their success is unattainable. But if you go back and look at where they started, many of them have started from places that were much more simple and modest than many of your listeners. And the the point is, is that as they started to increase their belief in possibility, doors started to open, opportunities started to present themselves, and they had the courage to take advantage of those. And everybody can do that as well. They've already proved how powerful they are. So recognize how your brain works and make what you want familiar and welcome. Start to believe that if they can do it, you can do it as well. Those are the two key components of this. 
And then there are a number of other steps. Just to remind you, you know, don't try and force anything. Because if you try and force something to happen and you fail, then you have to start all over at the beginning, making what you want familiar and welcome and shifting those beliefs so that your brain will take those intuitive messages off mute. May, how important is it for us to set goals? Do you think too many people go through life just letting things happen without having some type of a plan? It's my belief that if people don't program their own subconscious, then other people will program it for them. Every day we wake up and have an opportunity to decide to create the life that we love. And many of us will wake up and turn on social media, turn on the news, read newspapers, and fill our minds with stuff that other people think are important. And what happens is as we go out throughout our day, because we've allowed that to be programmed into our brain first thing, we'll start to notice more and more evidence of that occurring. And sometimes it's the very thing that we don't want to have happen. The other thing is that people aren't using the right words. I mean, think about that goal, I want to lose 10 pounds, or I want to get out of debt. If the goal is to be wanting to lose or wanting to get out of debt, they've already achieved the goal. They're already wanting. So they have to shift their words and create powerful goal statements. They want to describe their goals every single day. They want to write it down. They want to read what they wrote out loud, and they want to imagine being in the completed goal with gratitude. So they would say, I'm so grateful that I'm financially free with a minimum or more of X number of dollars while I'm using my skills and talents in remarkable and fulfilling and satisfying ways. I love working with the people that I work with and together we advance a mission that is very meaningful to me that that, uh, supports the growth of our customers and all of us together thrive and prosper. I love my work. You see the difference? Even if they don't have a job yet, if they describe that, what's going to happen is they are going to be intuitively guided and their subconscious is going to illuminate possibilities to make those statements true. So they've got to program their own subconscious, and I recommend that people do that every single day. Write down your goals as though they're complete with gratitude. Speak them out loud. What you just wrote, read it out loud with emotion. And then finally, take a few minutes and think about one of your goals and see yourself in the movie after you've already achieved the goal. May, we're usually proficient at starting a program. We we begin something with such enthusiasm and we feel that we can take on the world when we do. But then, usually, before too long, we seem to give up or whatever it is we've been trying to accomplish falls to the side. Do you have any tips that can help us stay committed to a success system? Yes. Have patience. And do it just the same way that you brush your teeth. Just do it. You want good dental health? You brush your teeth every day. You don't think about it. You don't go, hmm, should I brush my teeth or shouldn't I? No. If you want good dental health, you just brush your teeth. And you know that you do that every single day in order to prevent poor dental health. Well, you do this the same way. You do this every single day, set aside 25 to 30 minutes in the morning, every single day to program your brain for success. 
um, Inc. magazine, there's a writer there that had read my first book called The Path to Wealth. And she was she marveled and she said, you know, this is really a simple morning routine to prime your brain for success. And here's what I will tell you and all your listeners. If you don't program what's important to you first thing in the morning, the rest of the world gets to program it for you. And why would you give up that kind of power to other people when you can create, when all you have to do is keep your goals at the forefront of your thoughts first thing in the morning, and then things will shift to enable more possibilities to show up and present themselves for you to experience that good that you've described. You're worth it. All of your listeners are worth it. They get the opportunity to do this. And I, I hope they'll set aside that 25 to 30 minutes every morning for themselves. They're worth it. The book is The Gratitude Formula, a seven-step success system to create a life that you love. If you'd like to get more information about May and her work, you can visit maymccarthy.com. Or as always, you can visit our website, CYACYL.com, which stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. May, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would like them to remember to remember how powerful they are. You know, they, they've already learned all of these things that could be very, very difficult for somebody just starting out. They've learned to drive. They've learned to ride a bike. They can go years without riding a bike and get back on a bike and balance on two wheels. I mean, that's incredible. They, they can read. They can skim entire pages um, and get the same understanding. But at one time, they had to sound out each letter and each word and struggle to put it in a sentence, in a paragraph, in a story. And they've learned to type on that cr- crazy keyboard. You know, they, they've already proved that with repetition and practice, and recognizing that if other people could do it, they could do it. They've already proved that this kind of system works. Now all they have to do is apply it to creating the life that they love. May, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your formula for success. As you just said, we are very powerful, and your program gives us inspiration and structure to help us achieve a rich life. So thanks for sharing. So happy to be here, Joan. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google, search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan.
to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker. Linda empowers people who are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. She is here today to discuss how we can cultivate hope. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So, Linda, we're living through difficult times right now, and many people are experiencing hardship, loss, and uncertainty about the future. It creates a lot of fear. So it's important to have hope during trying times. Can you talk to us a bit about staying hopeful in tough times and why it's so important? Yeah, and none of us is exempt from trials, crises, and hardships. But one of the greatest gifts humans possess, Joan, is hope. Hope is trusting in possibility. It's the belief or feeling that what you desire can potentially happen. With hope, anxiety is lessened, and we allow ourselves to entertain new possibilities. Without hope, nothing feels likely, and motivation to journey forward can truly be a struggle. Hope allows us to keep investigating new solutions or ideas to solve problems or deal with the hardships we face. Hope gives us something positive to focus on. Without hope, there's nothing to propel us forward, and it's tempting to raise that white flag of surrender. Hope pivots our perspective. Without it, the walls can feel like they're closing in on us, but with it, we can find the light in the darkness. So, into understanding the why it's important to maintain hope when things feel impossible. How do we do it? Yeah, during times of crisis or tough times, we must look for even the tiniest glimmer of light, the smallest blessing or reason to smile. It's so important to keep hope alive because when it's abandoned, hope is hard to revive. Personally, in my darkest times, I've relied on using certain questions to keep hope alive. And actually, I invite everyone to use one or more of them when things look bleak. And I'll share them with you here. Ask, what's good in my life right now? Ask, what can bring me comfort? And then ask, what possibilities can I hold out for? And sit with these questions frequently. Reflect on them till you find a good answer and nurture the answer to those questions because what we focus on expands. When tempted to go down the rabbit hole of despair, remember the energy of our thoughts is like a boomerang. What we put out comes back to us amplified. Negative thoughts out, negative results in. So find something positive to focus on. Now, I'm not promoting being a Pollyanna. That's a false sense of positivity. What I'm suggesting is you spotlight one good thing happening somewhere in your world every day in order to keep hope alive. And we can't simply wish for something to happen. We must also take inspired action, right? So figure out what one step you can take to move you in the direction you want. Is it a plan with small steps toward realizing a goal? Or is it quiet time with prayer or meditation or intention? The action certainly depends on the situation, and it's different for everyone, but it's so important to maintaining hope. So, Linda, you're telling us about the importance of being positive and maintaining hope, but we're not wired to default to the positive. So can you offer maybe a strategy that can help us pivot? 
so true. You know, when we face trials, we're inclined to focus first on what can go wrong versus, versus what can go right. We're just wired that way, like you said. Unfortunately, the brains of those who regularly give in to negative thinking consistently reinforce negative neural pathways in the brain with each new gloomy thought. So we need to beat the brain's negative bias. Our brains are either hardwired or rewired with every thought we have. So the key is to learn how to rewire our brains to cultivate hope and success. Without going into too much of the science, all you need to know is that there's a structure in the brain called the synaptic cleft. It's the distance a signal has to travel to complete a thought. Each time you have a repetitive thought, negative or positive, you create something like a groove in the brain, which creates your thinking patterns. Every time you choose a positive thought, you're training your brain to default to positive, hopeful thoughts, beliefs, and patterns. Repetitive, hopeful thoughts strengthen these neural pathways. And over time, when the moment arises for you to form a new thought, the one that wins is the one that has the shortest distance to travel because it crosses that synaptic cleft the fastest. And now the positive, hopeful thinking groove is the deepest. Now, in the beginning, you may have to stop and remind yourself to create a positive, hopeful thought about a particular situation. You're training your brain. I teach this to clients all the time to get them unstuck and to empower them to find better ways to manage all sorts of challenges and to foster hope. The great news, Joan, is we can learn to rewire our brains at any age. Every single thought is an opportunity to rewire our brains. By learning to integrate hopeful thoughts, you're actually reshaping your brain, changing your brain chemistry, and therefore your physical reality. This is how we beat the brain's bias and cultivate hope. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, or if you'd like to work with Linda, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience. 
while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. Tragedy has the power to transform us, and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable. A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Elaine Pofelt, provides information and resources to help entrepreneurs create a successful business. She joins us today to share some of the wisdom from her book, The Million Dollar One Person Business. Elaine is a writer for Forbes.com and was a senior editor at Fortune Small Business Magazine. Her work has been published in Money, Fortune, Inc., and Good Housekeeping, among others. Welcome, Elaine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. It's great to be here. So, Elaine, you were a guest on the show a while back, and today I want to continue our conversation about helping entrepreneurs start and grow a business. Your work has been focused on that topic, helping companies and businesses grow into the million-dollar range. From what you've learned through all of the research that you've conducted, What are some of the biggest challenges entrepreneurs face when starting a business? One of the biggest challenges, Joan, is getting committed. A lot of people feel like they would like to start a business, but have trouble getting themselves to sit down and do it. And what I would say as an answer to that challenge is the biggest step you can take if you truly want to start a business is to show up for yourself. Find some way, whether it's 10 minutes a day, one hour a week, that you commit yourself to working on 
something that will move the business forward and that will help give you the confidence and reinforcement to keep going with it. One of the biggest challenges, and and I know I faced this when I started my company, is going from a steady income to a fluctuating income. How long does it take for an entrepreneur to build a steady livable income? It really varies by the business, Joan. What I would say is in an ideal world where you haven't just lost your job and you have some options, it's best to ease into starting a business so you're not completely leaving the steady income behind. A lot of the entrepreneurs in the book started their business on the side, in the evenings, and on weekends and waited a while until they quit their job. A good example is Laszlo Nadler, who is from New Jersey. He sells planners on Amazon Daybook, and he worked for Bank of America. He's a project manager, main breadwinner in his family, and he couldn't just quit. So he worked on it for two years before he got the business to a six-figure income and then was able to leave his job safely without losing his home or all the other things we fear when we're thinking about starting a business. And he's at $2 million in revenue now. So we're talking about that fear of not having a steady income, but what does it take to get a business up and running? Does a person need to have a substantial amount of money in which to invest? Generally not. If you're buying a franchise or something like that, yes, then you do need money. And there are a lot of different financing programs for that sort of thing. But for the types of businesses I'm writing about, generally, I would say the cost was less than $5,000. And people often started for less than $1,000. To start a business today, you pretty much need a computer and a phone. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then if, you're, if you're doing a product, you might need some money to make a prototype and um, a small batch to test it out in the market to see if it will sell. But you, you don't need thousands and thousands of dollars. And in fact, I would encourage people to spend as little as they reasonably can to get it going. Don't take out all of your savings from your retirement fund and put it into the business because you don't know if it will work out. Do small experiments to see if there is a market for what you're selling. If you sell a professional service, the overhead is, is very low to get started. I mean, I, I'm a freelance writer, for instance. There is virtually no overhead to get started, just the computer and the phone um, and Internet service. And then people give you assignments and that sort of thing. And, and there's not really a cost to doing them. So it, it can be quite inexpensive. And I would say the same is true for many types of professional services businesses where someone already is in that field. So if you're an attorney in a big firm and you go out on your own, there shouldn't be too much cost of getting set up. If you're trying a brand new field, you may need to get a credential. And in that case, it can be costly, like you know, the cost of going back to school. I know when I was starting to build this media platform and I first incorporated, it was the same time that I was getting divorced and I didn't have any capital to invest. So I found sponsors and I was in the black from day one with my company because I, first of all, I I took my time with it, but I I found that was the way I found my funding, but I, I didn't invest a dime of personal money in the creation of my company. That's a really creative solution. And If you have an audience, there are a lot of sponsors who probably want to reach it. Um, That's the case with a lot of podcasters where they, they build a niche audience. And it doesn't have to be that big to attract a sponsor if that sponsor wants to reach that audience. So I know one of the, uh, the important things in running a business, obviously, is to have some working capital. How much of a cash cushion do you believe a company should have? And what are some of the ways that a company can create this? 
in a perfect world, there's sort of a rule of thumb that you should have at least six months of working capital in the bank as well as living expenses. But in reality, most people don't have that much. So you need to think about how you will pay the bills for both the business and yourself and your family if something dries up and then come up with a number. You know, maybe you could get another job or drive for Uber or something like that in a pitch. You need to have your plan and then you can figure out how much you actually need. But I do think everyone should should try to build that cash cushion so that they have it in case there's a recession or something really unexpected that, um, you know, the blind signs everybody. Um, and how do you get it? It's really by trying to keep your expenses down in both your personal life and in the business. Try try not to spend money unnecessarily. I always see a temptation with people when they go into business. It's kind of like the back to school syndrome where, you know, they show you their brand new fancy desk that they just bought and the outfit the office they just outfitted and they might spend a couple of thousand dollars on it. That's money that could have been spent on something like marketing. So use your old battered desk, whatever one you have in your house. And 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 buy that when you, you really made a big sale or something that justifies it. But don't spend money you really don't need. Now, if you have a public-facing business, it's a little different, right? So you might have to have a pretty decent-looking office, say you're a financial planner or something like that. You can't do that really from your bedroom. But there are a lot of um, co-working spaces that have different vibes, so you could check out several of those or um, there are all kinds of flexible office space um, centers, business incubators, where you can rent space and have access to a conference room. Um, Regis is a good example, and not spend a ton of money on maintaining the presence that the business needs to get clients. Elaine, I know I hear this all the time, and I'm sure that you have as well. When you're a business owner, and until you get to a point that your revenues are so high and you can hire a sales team, we have to sell ourselves. We have to sell our services. We have to sell our products. We have to sell ourselves, literally, in some instances. But most people say they hate selling. It's something that they really fear. So what have you learned that can help someone overcome that fear and really do what they need to do in order to make the company grow? You're so right about that, Joan. People hate selling. It just makes them cringe. I think you should focus on selling without selling. The ideal scenario is people come to you and ask you to do something and then ask you how much you would charge for it, right? So part of that is becoming really proficient at whatever you do because that brings about word of mouth and then people come to you. In the beginning, if people don't know about you, you can build a strong online presence. You should you should definitely have a website. You should be on the major social media so people can find you. You should learn a little bit about search engine optimization. So when you're on people are on those social media and someone puts a keyword into LinkedIn looking for someone who does say it is SEO, say that's what you do, that that you come up. Um, also, doing informational interviews with other people in your field can be helpful. They can often tell you the unwritten rules of how to get work in that field. And, you know, in my field of journalism, a lot of it is through networking. And sometimes people think networking is sort of a, 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 a it's time that they can't afford. But 
in my field, it's essential. I need to get out there. I need to go to meetings. I need to have coffee with people because that's how I find out about the hidden pipelines of work. It might be very different in your industry, but you need to know how work is handed out to people in that industry. Um, if, you, if it's consumer-facing, maybe it's getting yourself out at community events. I know I see on your Facebook, Joan, you're often at community events you know, mm-hmm. with firefighters and all kinds of interesting people from the community. Being known and being seen, setting up a table at a local 5K or parade or whatever it is, is a way to get the word out. If you're selling a product like a food product, even uh, you know children's clothing, it's some sort of a tangible product. Um, but you, you need to be visible to the people that would buy from you. The book is The Million Dollar One Person Business, Make Great Money, Work the Way You Like, Have the Life You Want. If you'd like to get more information about Elaine and her work, you can visit ElainePofelt.com. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Always a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is your blood pressure on the rise? Hi, I'm Dr. Kyla Pacino, a chiropractor and founder of Health on Main, located in Little Falls, New Jersey. Here are five tips that may help you lower those numbers. The American Heart Association recommends dietary changes and weight loss as a method of lowering your blood pressure. So speak with your physician who can help guide you through this process. Research has proven that caffeine in excess can cause elevations in your blood pressure. So be sure to keep your caffeine intake limited to one to two cups per day. Reduce your stress level. Being able to identify your stressors and actively work on reducing or eliminating your stress is a great method of lowering your blood pressure. Add exercise to your regimen. Light cardiovascular activities such as power walking, jogging, and swimming are a few examples of heart-healthy exercises. Consistency above all is the best form of treatment. Alter your personal schedule to include proper eating habits, exercise, rest, and relaxation because changes don't typically happen overnight. Make a plan and get yourself an accountability partner to help you through your journey. I'm Dr. Kyla Pacino. If you or someone that you care about is having problems maintaining a healthy blood pressure, please give our office a call. I can be reached at healthonmain.info or call me 973-832-6722. Let's find a solution to this issue together. Did you know that interacting with nature can improve your memory and attention span? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, owner of Awaken Sound Health. Research has shown that spending time in nature has benefits, and summer is a perfect time of year to be outside. Listening to a natural soundscape can positively affect your nervous system, which influences the resting state of your brain. One reason is that listening to natural sounds directs your attention outward. In essence, it takes you outside of brooding thoughts. When you are brooding, you are thinking about the same information without a constructive result. If you find yourself stuck in a cycle of brooding thoughts, if your mood dips or you're having trouble focusing, try going for a listening walk in a setting that provides for plenty of natural sounds. Summer is the sweet sound of birds singing, soft breezes caressing the leafy trees, and the pitter-patter of a gentle rain. Whether in your neighborhood or on a woodland path, walk in silence and listen to the sounds of summer. This then becomes a form of walking meditation. As you walk, your breathing becomes rhythmic. As you listen to the natural soundscape, your mind relaxes. And if you can spend up to an hour in a natural soundscape, your memory and attention span can improve by up to 20%. I'm Allison Ayati, and I'm a sound therapist. For more information about sound therapy or to book an appointment, go to awakensoundhealth.com.
lower your expectations to lower your stress level. Hi, this is Angela Vlakonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. One definition of stress calls it the difference between what you want or expect to happen and what is actually happening right now. You may have thoughts about what you would like to happen in a certain situation, how you would like your friends and family to act. Maybe you even voice that opinion to your child saying, please don't go out with Chris anymore. You know that person isn't good for you. But when you continue to think about how this event isn't working out the way you think it should, you are creating your very own stress event. It's how you think about a situation that produces the stress response. It's because you want it to be a certain way and it's not. The solution, lower your expectations, or better yet, be mindful and don't have any expectations. Have an open mind and don't judge situations negatively if it doesn't result in your desired outcome. You can have preferences, but don't be tied to them occurring in order to be happy and calm. Expect nothing, accept everything. Or as the Buddha said, peace is the death of expectations. For more information on stress relief coaching or webinars, please visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about chronic kidney disease is Dr. Deborah Clegg, who is affiliated with Cedars-Sinai UCLA and American University. Dr. Clegg is the lead study investigator on plant-based diets in people with chronic kidney disease. Welcome, Dr. Clegg. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Doctor, with so many diets and eating plans that are available today, it's difficult to know which is the best to follow for maximum health. But for those with chronic kidney disease, making the right diet choice is critical. Before we talk about that, first tell us about chronic kidney disease. What is it? So chronic kidney disease is basically a, a gradual loss of kidney function. Your kidneys are responsible for maintaining normal balance within our body, and as the kidneys lose their function, toxins can stay in the body, and this is associated with some different types of disease risks. Who is most at risk? People who have high blood pressure or people who have diabetes or cardiovascular disease are individuals who those types of diseases can actually impact the kidneys and cause the kidney function to decrease. Doctor, what are the signs and symptoms? How does chronic kidney disease usually present? So chronic kidney disease often presents with some nausea or vomiting, maybe some changes in appetite, or maybe even changes in urination. Oftentimes, these are associated with kidneys who are no longer functioning properly by getting rid of some of the toxins that are so critical for the kidneys to normally function or release our body from. Why are potassium levels so critical for those who live with chronic kidney disease? What's interesting is that potassium is this incredible nutrient that we need to have in our diet. It comes from fruits and vegetables, but when potassium gets too high in our blood, it's a condition called hyperkalemia. And one of the interesting things is that the kidneys are responsible for maintaining potassium balance, 
And so one of the benefits of eating a fresh fruit and, and vegetable diet is that it's actually high in potassium. However, as your kidneys start to lose their function, avoiding potassium can be really important to avoid the uh, potential deleterious effects of hyperkalemia. Doctor, is there anything that we can do to prevent kidney disease? Well, some of the things that we can do is make sure that our blood pressure is well controlled, avoid some of the salt within our diet, so we're avoiding some of the, the hypertension, also maintaining our normal blood sugar by avoiding diabetes, and also keeping our overall cardiovascular uh, function in check. Also, eating a fresh fruit and vegetable diet actually can protect the kidneys. What types of tests should our doctor be doing to make sure that our kidneys are functioning properly? Your doctor will make sure that your kidneys are functioning properly by taking blood tests as well as monitoring your urine for different types of of products. So keeping in close contact with your physician, if you happen to be an individual that has hypertension, diabetes, or cardiovascular disease, or even family history of chronic kidney disease, it's really important to keep in touch with your physician so they can monitor your potassium or that they can monitor your kidney function. If someone is diagnosed with a kidney issue, what would the normal treatment process be? What can that person expect? Typically what happens is your kidneys continue to to decrease their function or when you have CKD is oftentimes physicians will prescribe medications such as uh, blood pressure stabilizing medications, um, other types of medications to keep your blood sugar in check. Uh, Typically they, they typically focus on blood pressure as well as blood sugar maintenance and in preserving the remaining kidney function. Once we're diagnosed and we're put on medications, is there ever a chance that it can be reversed or are we on those meds for the rest of our life? Oftentimes you're on those medications for for some period of time, but it's not a life sentence because keeping preservation of your kidney function is really what's at stake here. So what we're hoping is that the newer products that are available on the market will actually preserve kidney function as well as allow people to eat a really healthy diet. What are some of those newer products? Right, so there's a couple of newer products that are actually called, uh, considered to be binders. What they do is they sort of take over the kidney function. So when you're eating a diet that's high in potassium, and the normal function of the kidney is to get rid of that potassium, but as the con- kidney continues to fail, therefore the kidney no longer has the ability to get rid of that potassium. But these newer binders actually bind to the dietary potassium and help you achieve normal potassium homeostasis within your body. It's a really amazing time for individuals with CKD to be able to potentially try these new products and see if they can liberalize their diet. And where can our listeners go to get more information? The Kidney Foundation has some wonderful information about kidney disease, and you can find that information at kidney.org. Thank you so much for joining us and for providing this important information. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. 
Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.